Nowadays, introducing the original Blood Clad Podcast, not BS. Told in semantic. Special dedication, all the way from New York. Boom! Yeah, man, SWOT semantic. Yeah, man, oh. Boom! Sued in semantic. Yeah, man, Big up to the man, yeah. Sued in semantic. Welcome to the Soothing Semantics Podcast. I am your host, Rafi Pinsky. Make sure to subscribe, like, share, leave your comments. We have another real estate episode today with a very cool guest, a very close friend, a mutual friend of Anton Martel. For whoever hasn't seen the episode, make sure to check it out. He is a big investor uh, all across the country. He's based in California. And now we have a friend of his, a real estate investor as well, Hayato. Hayato, welcome, brother, to the show. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So uh, Anton, actually, I was talking to Hayato about this right before I I introduced the podcast, the episode, about how I took me some time to get Anton onto the show originally. I had um, a friend, uh, Alon, Alon Avji, or Avgi, that's how you pronounce his last name, who... I was also reaching out to in the beginning. I didn't know alone at that point either. I saw him on social media and I said, this guy seems really cool. I got alone on. Then I was able to get Anton on. Both of them, it took some time to follow up. And now Anton suggested that you come on. He sent us, you know, he sent that, that email and here we are. So it's just really awesome to see what happens when you, when you're consistent and you start something, you know, it's just, these things make me very happy, man. They're awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, all the real estate investors, I feel like are somewhat connected. And so if you have one person, they'll always have another person to introduce you to. And uh, it's such a great network of people. So I, I'm really glad that I know all these people. Thank you again yeah, for right. having me on the podcast. My pleasure, man. Yeah, it's really funny how like this circle is smaller than we think it is. It is. I even noticed that the real estate agents in South Florida, they all know each other or seemingly know each other. And there aren't that many of them because truthfully, there aren't that many people who are good at any given thing. So that's so true. That's so true. It's hard to find. You can find a million agents or a million investors, but the ones who are doing it well and who are consistently working to improve themselves, those circles definitely become smaller because I know every time I speak to an investor, they're like, oh yeah, I know that investor who bought that property or I know that institutional investor. It's, it's pretty crazy, but it's always the people who are actually doing multiple deals and are staying consistent just like you said funny yeah they they seem to find each other it's interesting yeah okay so, so so getting into it you grew up in cali you're a cali cali dude through and through no so i actually was born in japan i grew up in japan until i was five and then mm-hmm. i moved over to singapore where i lived about 13 years of my life then and wow. then i came here in california to go to university Wow. Okay. So how well, how old are you now? If you don't mind I'm me asking. Five right now. So you lived in in Singapore and in Japan for a large part of your life, man. I did. I did. How do yeah. you have such perfect English? I went to an American school, and that makes Singapore. sense. Yeah, and so I mean, it took a while to pick up. I wasn't really fluent until I was like ten years old, probably. But then started picking things up. Uh, was a little, you know shy about speaking English and whatnot but once I came to the states like you know they're like oh you speak like any other person here in California I would I wouldn't think that you were out from 
out of state. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Been- you know what we said? Yeah. It's been what? Yeah, it's been good. I mean, it's a little bit of a culture shock too when you come from, you know, Singapore and, and fly all the way to LA. I mean, it's like a 20 hour flight. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's very different, but the people I met at university and everything was amazing. I met Antoine through um, the university I went to, uh, LMU, and then I met a bunch of amazing people that I still connect to this day. So awesome, man. And I know Singapore is one of the cleanest places in the world. So I imagine when you came to LA, you were a bit disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> cleanest, safest, but I mean, there's a lot of rules there. So it's very strict. You can't really do too much. I mean, it's a lot more free, I would say. Uh, it's, it's different for sure, but it is one of the cleanest and safest places in the world. Wow. Yeah, you can't have gum there. I mean, I think I can survive with that, with that rule, but it's uh it's interesting i know, I, would okay. sneak, I would buy some here and i would sneak it back in singapore and sell it like salt gum and candy at school and stuff really <laughs> oh yeah you could probably really mark that up though right oh you could a, oh yeah that's it's so funny that's literally like transferring cocaine over the border you know like for them oh my I god know. gum you know <laughs> they're sitting there they're sitting there in in the the janitor's closet just chewing on it quickly they're like, <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> Give me a piece, bro. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, how did you get into real estate investing? How old were you when you started, and what was your first project? What was your first property? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I started my company two years ago uh, called Rocket Offer, and. Before that, I had no knowledge about real estate. I never did anything related to real estate. And so I was in university before then. And I was, I started a lot of businesses. I was doing like e-commerce. I was doing uh, retail arbitrage. I was flipping stuff on eBay, going to Goodwill, you know, all those kind of things. Um, And I was figuring out what I wanted to build as a business. And after college, I got a W-2 job and I was working at a company called Hyperloop Transportation Technologies. Uh, the, the tube, for people who don't know, it's the idea of tube travel that Elon Musk kind of came up with. Um, and so you take out all the air in the tube and then you can go like, you put a maglev train in there and it can go at the speed of sound. So it goes really, really quickly. Theoretically, it can go from like LA to San Francisco in like 30 minutes. So that's where I was working prior. Um, but, and I love the people working there. I loved working there in general and I loved the idea, but I always found myself after work from like five to you know midnight, I was figuring out what I wanted to do. Um, and started a lot of small business on the side. And Can I quickly I was, interject? Yeah, yeah. Hold the thought. The fact that you did that at such a young age. So I, uh, you know, I'm I'm a realtor, which I'm sure you know, and I have my podcast. So but it happens to be that both of these things I love, and both of them aren't. They're not nine to five, so that works for me. Mm-hmm. But when I, whenever I hear somebody at a young age that had their regular job, but found time after five to hustle and do those other things. It's so important. It's just so important. So every time I hear someone's doing that, I get, I get very excited. Yeah. You're starting young. You're not waiting until you're 45. And even, even at 45, it's not the end of the world, but it becomes so much more difficult with kids and a wife and all these bills and expenses and debt. Exactly. And that's exactly my thought, my train of thought too. Cause I was like, once I start having responsibilities, I won't be able to do this right now. I'm risking only me and my time and my money. Yep. 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 And it's not that much too. I'm, I'm like 
21 at that time. And there's not much for me to risk anyway. So I was like, I'm just going to go all in and see what happens. And so I was rooming with Antoine at that time. And I saw him build out kind of his real estate company um, while I was there with him. So he was doing, you know, zero to one property a month. And then now he's doing like 10 properties a month. And so I was, I started getting really intrigued in the real estate industry. And I was like, Hey, what's the biggest problem that you face? And he was like, dude, it's really hard to find good deals. And people are always going to be looking for really good deals in real estate. And so we're like, okay, let's try something that we can just go dive right into. And wholesaling real estate seemed to be the easiest way to get into real estate and the quickest way to ramp things up. And so December of 2019, we started a real estate company called Rocket Offer. And I actually went to a trip to Europe for a bit, um, just a solo trip, just to take my mind off things. And then in the middle of the trip, I get a phone call where like, let's just start, let's just go all and quit your job once you come back. And then we'll just start this real estate uh, journey and go all in. And during that time, we started, you know, doing cold calls. We hired some virtual assistants because I had a nine to five job at that time. So we, I couldn't be the ones always doing the phone calls and doing the text messages and whatnot with the homeowners. And so we hired a lot of the virtual assistants that could do that for us. And it started picking up really, really quickly. And so once I came back, I got my two week notice. Um, I quit my job and then started it full time in 2020 before the pandemic. And so a few months in, you know, we were able to do one or two, two deals um, within the first 90 days or 60 days, actually. And we're like, okay, we, it works. We proved the concept. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hits and we're like, damn, what's going to happen? I have no clue. You know, this has never happened <laughs> uh, to me or, you know, a lot of people in my lifetime never went through a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, okay, let's, let's just keep going. Let's see what happens. And really we were just solving problems and, uh, things as they came through and fast forward about a year and nine months later, now we're doing about 10 to 20 deals a month, you know, wholesaling real estate every single month. So we've come a long way since then. And amazing. Yeah. (laughs) And we're trying to continue growing. Um, And we're mainly in the Midwest market. So we're in Cleveland, Ohio, Memphis, Tennessee, St. Louis, Missouri, and Detroit, Michigan. Um, Mm -hmm. And the reason why we're in that Midwest market is because People that live in California or LA like me, like when I wanted to first invest in real estate, I could not buy anything in California or LA Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because it's just so expensive. I mean, the lowest, the minimum that you need to be able to spend (laughs) is $750,000 for a home that's not even worth it. So a lot of investors like, yeah, like, you know, I want to invest out of state and you can buy a home in the Midwest for like $60,000, and and it rents out for like 800 to a thousand bucks and the cash flows so wow. low and you appreciate too. So I think it's just such a good market that people should, people are a lot, a lot of people are missing out on if they, you know, they're like, Oh, Midwest, who lives there? It's a great market. So I think a lot of people, so I've seen a lot of Antoine's content and first off I, I so I saw the price 60 to 70 I've seen those a bunch of times and I see Cleveland Detroit uh, Memphis he's very into those what was yeah. the fourth one you mentioned uh, St. Louis Missouri and Memphis. St. Louis. Yeah, St. Louis. and I'm sure you have others so 
he mentioned that for a lot of people, they have a difficulty uh, investing out of the state they live in because they can't control it, meaning they can't just quickly go there and take a ride 10 minutes and go see it. The ben- there's the benefit to having it out of state is that you can't, you're not quite uh, constantly micromanaging it. Yeah. So you have more time to go and do other things. You hire somebody and, and you know, you do it that way. So I took a lot from that. Okay. So, so once you started investing out of state, what kind of happened? Meaning you, obviously you, you said you have positive cash flow. You can, you still get a great amount of rent for the cheap price that you're buying it for. Let me, there, there's a few questions I have. First off, what do you suggest for people who haven't invested as far as what to start with, right? So say they start, let's say they start with something out of state. Do you suggest starting to burr property, to flip? How do you kind of, so that, you know? Yeah, that's a great question. I think to start off, I know the burr, burr strategy is super, super uh it's very, very exciting for a lot of people that hear what it is. You buy it. For those of you who don't know, it's buying it, rehabbing it, renting it out, and refinancing it. And so essentially, you take all the cash that you put in, ideally, out of the property uh, at the end, and then go ahead and put that money into the second property and third. Uh, I think the Burr strategy is great, but there's a lot of involvement needed for a first-time investor. So they would need to then rehab the property, then they would need to put a tenant in there, and then they would need to get it refinanced. And that's the scariest part too, to see if your property is going to get praised at the value that you want it, and mm-hmm. you're even going to be able to take out all your money out. So for a new investor, I think that might be a little bit tricky. Um, and also maybe fix and flipping, it can be a little bit tricky as well. So as a very first property, I think if you don't have the time, if you don't have the resources, I think the best way to get your, get your feet wet in real estate is just to get a rental first. And then you'll start to see, okay, you know, this property cash flows, property management does everything for me. Uh, I see how it works. They run all the numbers. Uh, I, I see how the tenants kind of respond and what the maintenance looks like for properties. And then you start to realize, wow, having a property out of state is really not that difficult. Mm-hmm. It's really not. It's almost the same as if you are having a property right next door, because really, if you have a property management, if you have contractors doing everything, you don't necessarily need to see that property anyway. If they're doing the work for you, you might not even want to go in there because even if you go in, you're not going to see, you know, those contractors are experts. Those property management <laughs> companies, those are experts that have, you know, perfected their craft after decades and decades of work. And if I'm just going in there, going in like, yeah, it looks good, but not really knowing if, you know, oh no, the contractor picked out a little crack here that needs to be fixed. Like I wouldn't be able to pick that out. So I, I'm relying on their expertise to tell me what's wrong. And if that's the case, it really doesn't matter if you invest out of state or in your state. That's my, um, that's my thought. And just to go back on, you know, answering the first question, I think just getting a rental property is a really good start. And then from there, you can go ahead and fix and flip or burr, or you can just go right into it if you have a little bit more time. But I think 
you should have a little bit more knowledge in the real estate industry uh, before you go ahead and fix and flip a first property or burr. Okay, that's great advice. I'm I'm not a, a landlord yet. Quite honestly, I don't have real estate investments yet. I'm, I I will do that very very soon. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to to building all the connections that I've that I've well working with the connections I've been building and building more. I mean, yeah. It's inevitable that I'm going to, God willing, own a lot of real estate. It's just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. about making the right choices and and really having a plan, you know, yep. so that's the story. What was it like? Funny question. And I I'm, I want to ask you about the, um, why am I forgetting the word already? Uh, the eviction mor- uh, moratoriums. Yeah. But first, what was it like when you, for the... Um, what was it like being a landlord for the first time? Yeah, so being a landlord for the first time, it was it was definitely I was a little bit scared because I'm putting all my trust in the property management that okay. was going to manage the properties. So I bought the property sight unseen. I had an inspector go there, and you know I had all the uh, due diligence taken care of but I'm heavily reliant on the property managers to do their job and make sure that they're collecting the rent every single month, that they're paying, you know, property taxes, insurance, and all those things every single month as well. And if, if the tenant doesn't pay, then they're supposed to get like notify me and say, Hey, this tenant hasn't paid. This is the next action. Let me know what you want to do to move forward. And so for me, it was kind of, scary in the beginning but after honestly like one or two months when i saw the check come in when i saw the payments come in and the property manager said here's your check here's your check every single month and i really don't do anything uh that's when i was like real estate works it yeah that's an amazing amazing asset to have and the best part is you have control over it unlike stocks so so amazing. I can't wait to have those monthly checks. Now keep going. And I I had just two questions for you. Uh, If you can hold the thought, I just didn't want to forget. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, How do you choose? What do you look for in a property manager? And how do you decide cost wise? So say, you know, you're, you, you determine what your rent is, you know, you, you know, you have equity wise, how do you determine based on the skills you're looking for in a property manager and the price, you know, what you're going to pay that person. But you, because you obviously still want to make a nice profit at the end of the day. So definitely. So for me, like property managers usually charge between eight to 12%, uh, depending on if you have a lot of units, they're going to charge you obviously on the lower end. But if you have, you know, if it's your first property, maybe they'll charge you like the 10 to 12% range. So it really depends on the property. Well, 10 to 12 of what? 10 to 12 of of the, of the annual monthly rent? Of the rent, yeah, for the, of the rent amount. So if your rent is eight hundred dollars a month, they charge like ten percent of that, and it's eighty bucks a month that they'll charge. And so a lot of them don't charge you um, if the tenants are not in there too. So their incentive is to go ahead and find a tenant, and then that way they can go ahead and you know collect um, their payment every single month, and I can collect my rent every single month too. So. Interesting, but that's such a minuscule amount of money. So for them, I guess they work on, I mean, everyone works on volume, but for them, it's, they don't have to put the money into purchasing the property. Mm -hmm. So they're doing everything on a smaller scale. They can just find you the tenant and take a small percentage. Exactly. Yeah. Property management companies make a razor thin margin. It's, 
you know, they, they need volume. They sell a lot of them, you know, manage about a hundred, a thousand units. And then maybe 20% of those properties need some work every single month. And so it's, it's really a volume game, but I think the biggest, biggest benefit of having a property management company is, you know, exactly when a property becomes vacant, you know, exactly how much the rent's going for in that certain market, you know, exactly what's happening in a specific local market. And that way you can take advantage of it. So if you wanted to buy a property from that person that got a property vacant, then you're the first to know if you're a property Mm -hmm. manager. Mm -hmm. So you can either buy it on your own or they can go ahead and, you know, reach out to an investor like me and say, Hey, we have a vacant property here. Do you want to buy it? And then I'll pay the property manager because they told me and they came to me first. And then if I do buy it, they'll get a fee. So uh, it's it's very beneficial to have a property management company, but the margins are definitely low. Okay, what does the fee look like? Say if they help you find something. Uh, it depends. I mean, I'm more than willing to pay. You know, a thousand, two thousand. Uh, it really depends on the property managers that we work with and what they're comfortable with too. So. Okay, the size. Say, I mean, it sounds like you're buying things at median, maybe sixty to two hundred. I don't know if you ever do more than that, but that's. Generally, what I hear is the smart thing to do, Yeah, especially if you're flipping. But if you uh, say it's a larger property, I guess that's all situational and it's all negotiable. You know? mm-hmm. So, yeah. okay. What do you look for in a property manager? Someone I, I obviously who's trustworthy, who's loyal, who's not going to do anything behind your back. Yeah. What are other things that you would suggest that are key components of a good property manager? I think communications and the system that they have in process is very, very important. So I want a property manager that's super communicative and telling me like, Hey, the tenant did this. The tenant hasn't paid in three days. We want to do an eviction. What do you think? Hey, we're going to go ahead and take care of this and this and this. Are you okay to approve it? And those are the property managers that I really like to work with just because I'm always in the loop if I need to be. I don't spend more than an hour a week um, at most uh, talking with property management companies. If I wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's really nothing. I mean, on average, I would spend maybe an hour a month or every two months because really they take care of everything. Anything under like $100 in maintenance, they just do it without my approval because I, I signed a contract saying, yeah, anything below a hundred bucks and maintenance, you just take care of it. So have, they just have a card. They just have your card on file and they just charge it. Exactly. Over. They have the money stuck in portal. So they usually have like a minimum balance that you need to keep, which is about like $500. And then they'll just t- withdraw money from that as needed. Um, and, you know, make sure that, that the property is in the condition that it needs to be in. So, I think that's really important. I think a property manager who also knows the market really, really well is really important because they can come to you. All these people are essentially partners, right? Like I, I really value the property managers, you know, even the lenders and contractors and sometimes real estate agents that we work with as well. All these people I consider as partnerships and it's really, really important. And so having a partnership like a property management company and if they know the local market really, really well, they can tell me, Hey, rent is really going up in this zip code. You might want to buy properties here, or Mm -hmm. they might come back to me and say, 
oh, this zip code is really, really hot right now. A lot of homes are selling at a really good price. Um, easy to get tenants. We get 30 applications a week. You should go ahead and try getting a property here. And you can really bounce off ideas with them. And if I wanted to buy a property in an area that I'm not really familiar with, then I can go to them and say, hey, what do you think the rent's going to be here? And then they'll literally tell me, oh, it's going to be $850 once you renovate it. And so it's such a strong partnership um, and they can go ahead and refer you to all these things. So for me, a good property management company can do all of those things. Okay, awesome. That's fantastic. So now, okay, so you have your, your property managers in place. You do very minimal work for, on your rental properties, which is yeah. exactly where you want to be. What, what then, so now, so we were kind of talking about how you started. Where are you planning to go in the next, say, couple of years? I know we're jumping, we're jumping from kind of the, the, more, the smaller details to the, the longer future details. Are you looking to eventually buy larger buildings? Are you looking to expand that way? Or are you interested in, I guess, smaller rental properties? I don't, I don't know exactly what you have. So that's why I'm asking. Yeah. So my goal is to grow my company as big as possible. I do want to be nationwide. So I want to be doing hundreds of deals a month. That's really the goal with rocket offer for my personal uh, portfolio or goal. I would like to continue growing and keep buying rental properties. Right now, I really do like single family homes just because I know a lot of millennials nowadays, there is a statistic saying they prefer single family homes. And I think people do because especially with the pandemic, a lot of people are now getting to work from home. They want a bigger space to get their work done at. And so, you know, they want multiple rooms. They want multiple bedrooms. They want an office at their home. They just need some space in the home, especially if they are, you know, living with their family or if they're living with their siblings, it's, it's just space is needed. And so Mm -hmm. I really do like single family homes. Um, The tough part is it's hard to buy a bulk of them at a time, it's becoming easier. A lot of people are doing more portfolios, uh, but, and I think it will only get easier to buy single family homes at at scale, but right now it still is not the easiest. And so I might dabble into multifamily and buy some of those as well. But really uh, my goal is just to keep building, building, building my rental portfolio, uh, whether it be single family or multifamily homes. And on the company side, I want to just grow that as much as possible and also get, build a relationship with all the investors so that I can go ahead and sell and help people build their portfolio through Rocket Offer as well. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, as investors also, you not only have your own investments, but you can you can have syndications and, and do coaching and mentorship. There's so many avenues once you have built some credibility in this industry. Uh, I mean, I look at, I look at, I just met you, but I look at Antoine, I look at Alone, because I don't, I don't know too many yet. And they're so knowledgeable and so many people come to them for advice. It's, it's just incredible what that hard work can do. It just creates so many opportunities. So especially if you're communicative and articulate and you're, you're good at teaching, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's unreal what that, what that brings. So yeah. 
I hope, you know, I hope that I, I look forward to, you know, to learning from you and learning from everybody. So, you know, that's definitely going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, what are some of the biggest obstacles? What are some of the biggest obstacles that you face day to day as an investor? I think t- to run the company, the biggest day to day obstacle that I personally face is managing the teams. And so mm-hmm. right now we have a team of about 15 to 16 people. And managing all of those people, making sure that everything is moving at the right speed and at the right pace is difficult. Uh, And and making sure that things get done on time. Sometimes things do lag if, you know, one person calls out sick or one person forgets to do one thing. It's, you know, we need to make sure, hey, can you go ahead and follow up with this person? And so for me, it's really important to build out that system so that those things don't happen and the workload for our team members gets a lot lighter and a lot more efficient. So that's the biggest obstacle that we're running into right now that we're constantly fixing. But I think in any business, and no matter how much you grow, you're always going to be improving those systems and processes so that you know you don't have to run into that obstacle twice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. I, I, I saw a loan doing, he has a few people. He seems like he has a very good team, but he has young. I mean, at least I know he has one guy. He's always, he's funny. He's like this, he's always like pinching this guy's cheeks. It's hilarious. He's like this young guy, this young intern. I think he went to an Ivy league school. He's very good with systems, very good with his Excel spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. And alone. So he was kind of walking into the office and going, you're such a math, you're such a mastermind or something <laughs> like, like things like that. I'm going to make sure that Alon listens. Do you, you know you know Alon probably or you know of him? Yeah, I, I believe we're supposed to be uh, going on like a meeting too very, very soon. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. yeah, he's he's great, man. He's great. So, yeah, he's just – he always he always videos his shenanigans in his office. It's always entertaining. <laughs> so, yeah, you should check it out if you, if you don't – if you never see it. No, uh, no. So, okay. Are there other – I'm sure there are other obstacles, but any other obstacles that – that hit you right away that you think that that come to mind right away? Yeah. Some of them you just can't control. So a lot of them are like problems with the sellers or sometimes with the investors. Most of the times it's with the owners of the homes. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they either don't tell us uh, what we asked for, or they're just keeping it quiet because they want to get rid of that property. that Mm -hmm. They never tell us. And so We've had a few times, and I think this is the biggest headache, uh, at least for me, is when a property has a squatter because legally you cannot kick them out and it takes a long time to do so if you want to. And so for us, it delays, you know. Well, how does that work, say, in Cali? Sorry to interrupt. How does that work? Well, you, I don't know how much investment you do in Cali, but how do you get a squatter out? I mean, if, if you legally can't kick them out, then can you go in there and literally grab them and throw them out? Like, what do you do? (laughs) So it really (laughs) depends on state to state, which is another reason that I love the Midwest is a lot of them are landlord friendly. So if I bought a property here in California and a tenant's like, I'm not, I I know, I know all about it. You really can't. So I feel so bad for a lot of people who own properties. (laughs) Like I can't get this person out and legally, you literally can't. And so they're very tenant friendly, friendly here in California, but in the Midwest, they're landlord friendly. So there's a lot of kind of ways to go around it. Um, and with the squatters, you're just going to have to go through, you know, 
court filings and whatnot. It depends on how far it's gone. A lot of times, if the easiest way to go and get rid of a squatter, in my opinion, is say, here's some cash, go find yourself a new place. Like here's a new place for a hotel and leave my property in two weeks, please. And a lot of times they'll accept it because it's free money for them. Um, but otherwise you have to go through, you know. What if they come back? What if they're like, hey, thanks for the 600 bucks. I'm back, mother. <laughs> <laughs> have to put a lock box and make sure that they don't come back in. But it is, it is a problem. I mean, you seem like a violent guy, Hayato. So, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll go in there and uh, <laughs> deal with it myself, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. I, I would have a really tough time with that, man. Like, yeah, I'd have a really tough time with that. And and how do you live in Cali, man? I, I, I didn't ask Antoine that, but with all these restrictions with all this, these, especially as an investor, I mean, if you have investments in Ohio and Detroit or whatever, then fine. But just the taxes you have there, I'm just, I you're clearly a smart guy. So I'm sure you figure out plenty of tax breaks, but even then, man, I mean, just the homeless population, the taxes, everything. How do you, how is it worth it for you? Quite honestly, like separate side question. It's actually, yeah, yeah it's such a good, it is question. relevant. It's yeah. very, yeah, no, it's a really good question. I, honestly, business wise, it doesn't really, okay. Like real estate wise, it really doesn't make sense to, to live or buy in California. In my opinion, unless you're fixing and flipping properties and you can make a lot, mm-hmm. start off with a million, you need to have a million in your bank. Right? Okay. So otherwise it's really tough. I believe in California to, do anything in real estate especially if you're just starting out for me the reason why i'm in california is i've built my foundation here i have a network of a lot of people and at the same time you meet a lot of people who have money who have a lot of experience um, and who are at crazy scale that i'm not into and so i can learn from a lot of these people um that i meet here in california so in LA, you meet a lot of I guess people who are doing far better and I get to learn from a lot of people just by, cause I play soccer on the weekends and sometimes, uh, you know, we go ahead and get into conversations and it's like, Oh yeah, I have my own business in this. So I have, you know, I, oh, I do real estate as well. And you meet these people constantly day in and day out. And so I think the connections that I make here is, is very, very big. And also we have, a lot of investors through that invest out in the Midwest too. So I get to build that mm. relationship here as well. Um, but that's the biggest thing. And uh, I mean, California, I do like living in California. The weather's amazing. I mean, it's a beautiful place, man. It's just that I feel like yeah. the, the politicians have really ruined it, man. Yeah, not exactly. to say that it's not to say that it's, it has no worth whatsoever, especially if you're wealthy. I mean, listen, you got money there, then you're fine. But yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, mean, I personally wouldn't buy anything here. I rent my place. I think I'll, if I do live in California, I'll continue to rent. Um, but you never know. I might, I might move out to different states. Uh, eventually, I would like to go ahead and travel the world, uh, wow. kind of, you know, hop around every two months. And and my job or my company allows me to do that. I get to work from anywhere. Time zone gets a little bit tough when you go to the East Coast, like in Japan. When I went a few months ago, it was really tough because it's flipped day and night. And so mm-hmm. I, I would do nighters, but you know, that's why you have a team in place that, so that they can get, you know, a lot of the work that you need to get done for you too. Right. And so um, it is possible, but I think I want to stay more in, you know, the North American region maybe South America as well. And, you know, Mexico is always fun too. So I think I want to do a lot of traveling around as well. Um, 
which is the goal. But for right now, I'm headquartered in California, and mm-hmm. I don't intend to leave uh, yet. But you never know. I mean, I went to Florida last night. It was super fun, too. So, Yeah, if you're here, let me know. It would be awesome to meet in person. I'm, I'm in Aventura, which is north Miami. Mm-hmm. So really not far from Miami Beach and all the main areas. So awesome. uh, if you go to Fort Lauderdale Airport, I'm 15 minutes away. And, you know, it would be really, yeah, really awesome. Yeah, to really, really, yeah. Again? yeah, we should definitely link up when I'm there. Be yeah, man. Fun. So let me know. Be in touch. We have each other's yeah, numbers. Yeah. Uh, so so uh, we're discussing squatters and evictions. As you mentioned, as we know, <laughs> Cali's not very good to landlords. So. Yeah. Say even you're not, say you're not investing in Cali, say you continue to invest in, in the Midwest. What has that been like? Say, I'm sure you've had your, your fair share of evictions. So what, have, yeah. what was your first one? I'm curious, what was your first one like? And now compare that to where you are now and how you handle it. Like, what have you learned along the way? And say, you know, you have to evict somebody how do you handle it better and differently now than you did when you first started? First That's time. really good. Um, so personally, I like to think of myself as I always like to say, think that there's better people out there. There's smarter people out there who can just do it for me. That's kind of my mentality and my mindset. There's always someone better who's going to do it better than I can. Mm-hmm. So my first eviction, I, And that's why I think a property management company is so important and having a good one is really important. They reached out to me and said, Hey, this tenant hasn't been paying for six days. Now it's been overdue for six days. Do you want to go forward with an eviction? And I said, yes, please take care of it. And honestly, wow, six days. Yeah. And they took care of the eviction process. Now the eviction process took about 30 to 60 days. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it does take a while, but I didn't have to set foot or I didn't have to show up in court or anything. They literally took care of the entire eviction process and I didn't have to deal with it. So for me, I always try to leverage someone else's expertise and have them do it. Um, And that's why I think the relationship building is so important because they can go ahead and do all those things for you. Hmm. Okay. But I have an interesting question. Now, six days is definitely six days, right? It's not... 12 days, but it's still a lot of time past the date of rent when rent is due. I, I have always paid my rent on time. So yeah. I can understand that it would be frustrating for, for a landlord not to get their money. But what if, you know, what if you don't want to deal with the hassle of finding a new tenant? Maybe it's extremely easy in that in the areas you have, but what if they have some, you know, that month they had some money trouble, but you know they've been good for the other months and you know, they're six days late on this one, but you feel like they say, oh, listen, I need another four days. Obviously it's not ideal, mm-hmm. but have you dealt with things like that where yeah. they're not exactly in the best financial situation? Something might've happened. COVID might've hit their business, but for the most part, they're, they're good on their word. They just unfortunately aren't in the best position. Yeah. I definitely dealt with something like that. So for that tenant, actually, I don't, I don't want to evict anyone. Um, course, that's yeah. the last thing that I would want to do. I think it's, it's, it's not fun for anyone. I mean, as a landlord, you pay no, a lot of money to actually go to court and do that. And it takes a lot of time. And for that two months, you don't get paid. And at this, and for the tenants, it's going to be so much harder for them to find the next place to go ahead and you know rent a property at. And so it's not a win-win situation for anyone. And I always like to make things win-win for, for any negotiation or mm-hmm. any deal that you do. So for me, 
the very first thing I would do is ask them, okay, when can you pay next? And then I would give them a, you know, they're like, oh, I get paid in two weeks. Sorry. Like I'm going to be late. That's totally fine by me. I really don't care. Uh, as long as you get the payment in, it's okay. And just, you just need to tell me a specific time that you are, uh, you know, two weeks, I think a month is a little bit too long, but you know, if they say I'll pay double in the next month, I'm okay with that too. So that's kind of the communication I would have with the property management company. In this scenario, the tenant didn't pay. They gave me a notification saying, hey, the tenant didn't pay for six days. And then eventually turned into like a month and a half. And they just stopped wow. talking. So that's when it got become, became serious. And we're like, okay, now the next thing that we can do to get them out without going through eviction was cash for keys. And so if with cash for keys, you say, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Tenant, here's $500 please leave the property as soon as possible uh, so that, you know, we both don't have to go through an eviction process. It's a win-win because I don't have to go through an eviction process and wait another 30 to 60 days. And the tenants, it's a win for the tenant because they don't have to go ahead and get evicted. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a win-win for everyone. And then we can go ahead and place another tenant as soon as possible. Well, why is it so bad for them to get evicted other than the obvious idea of them getting kicked out? Cause it goes on their, on their histamine, it shows up. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's going to be a lot harder. Oh, I mean, a lot of for them to get approved. Exactly. They're not going to get approved for, you know, probably places that they want to go to. They're uh-huh. not going to, they're going to get approved maybe for desperate landlords who need someone in that property because it's not a good area. What if they end up having the money say while they're living, they're renting by you, they're making, I don't know, 30 grand a year, but then, you know, the husband or the wife really hustles and just, I don't know, a couple of years later, they're both making 400K cumulatively. Mm-hmm. Would that not kind of fix the issue or people see eviction and they're not, they're just not interested? Oh yeah. I mean, if they see eviction, it, it really depends on the scenario. They can, I mean, everyone has to fill that application. And so mm-hmm. that's why you vet those applications. And maybe in that application, they can also write a note saying, Hey, you know, that was me prior. I had my business fail. I couldn't pay rent and that's why I got evicted. But now I am making 200 grand a year and, you know, we're more than able to afford this property. Mm -hmm. And so obviously things can change, but that Mm -hmm. record does stay on you. And and, um, it's something that you're going to have to live with. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it doesn't look good no matter how you spin it. But yeah, if you do have one of those, you better, you better, you better fucking make something of yourself. You exactly. better be able to come out of that and be able to show, you know, show something for yourself. Otherwise it's, it's going to, it's going to hurt you forever. Yeah. Um, what were you going to say? No, that, that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, it's, it's not fun for anyone. No one wants to evict anyone. No one wants to be evicted. And so I tried to uh, not have that situation come up at all and then kind of work with the tenants. Uh, and it's always the property management company going back and forth with the tenant. They just tell me, hey, this is what they want to do. What do you want to go ahead and do? So I just have to make the decision and they're in contact with the tenant. So again, that's why I see the benefit there because they do all the work for you and all you have to do is make decisions. Interesting. Okay, no, that's, that's how it should be. What, when did you first have to evict a tenant and what was it like? So mine was during, it wasn't an eviction necessarily. Um, We filed for eviction. So Mm -hmm. uh, it was my very first property that I bought. It was in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Um, And the tenant was paying really, really well. And then all of a sudden during COVID, she lost her job. So I gave her an extra month to see if they can come up with anything, but she just wasn't able to. And so Mm -hmm. 
we're like, okay, we need you to leave the property, uh, vacate the property. We're not going to charge you anything. You just have to leave um, by this date. And Did she like, have somewhere to go? That's like the tough part. It's like, I know as a business owner, when I have property, if somebody can't pay, they can't pay. Meaning it's going to be a situational, but if I have to evict them, they're going to get evicted. So, you know, it's a funny question, but on your conscience, right? Because you do seem like a really good guy. If you feel like they have nowhere else to go, it's like, what do you do? It's an interesting question. And it's not technically, you know, you'll have people that say, well, that's not my problem. And that's, yeah. and that's true. Yeah. But it's like when you meet like, I don't know, you meet a single mom, two kids, she just lost her job, has no money to pay. Her family doesn't want to have her stay there. I mean, it could happen, right? Yeah. And it's like, there's the risk of her being on the street. Like, what do you do in that position? Because you don't want to be taken advantage of and you have a business to run and you need to make a profit. But it's like, what yeah. do you do in that situation? I know it's, it's really tough. It's really tough. Um, so I, I like to be philosophical. I like to, I like to make sure that, you know, the tenants are taken care of and everything, but I'm also a business person and I treat my investment properties as a business. So it's, it's a really fine line. And in that case, uh, what we ended up having to do was she stayed an extra month, um, and, you know, I, I didn't file anything on her that she had to pay everything back and, and whatnot. We, I even suggested, hey, here's, you know, $400. Um, this is maybe enough for you to go find somewhere else just for a small period of time. That should, I mean, that should be what, two, three, four weeks. Even if you get a job at McDonald's, honestly, in the Midwest, you're able to go ahead and pay rent because the rents are like 600 bucks to a thousand dollars a month it's not like california where it's like three thousand dollars a month and really if you work at mcdonald's you're not going to be able to pay it's you can pay those things in the midwest and yeah, it's so, just hard it's hard it's for just, people like that it's like they go from a job you know even if it was a, a regular bookkeeper job making you know whatever it is and you go to mcdonald's i mean at the end of the day though that's what that's life if you're yeah you're on your ass and you got to find something you got to find something yeah, at the end of the day, you just have to hustle. I, I, that's, that's what I think. But we did we did give her, you know, a month to kind of get everything in order. Um, she did refuse all of those things. So our property manager, I know during the eviction, uh, eviction memorandum, they were, a lot of states were giving like help to tenants to be able to pay rent if they weren't able to, but she didn't get approved for some reason. I didn't know what the specific reason was, but apparently she didn't get approved for the government funding to pay for rent. And so really in that case, there was nothing else that I could do. Um, And so we just had to file eviction. At that point, I was losing money every single month. Um, And it does, you know, it, it does take a hit on the rental property. So we offered to, you know, help her move out her stuff. She said she didn't need it. And so, at the, you know, didn't need it, meaning she was going to leave her stuff. Uh, no, it was all she took all. Yeah, we were going to help her move all the stuff to a new place and maybe even find her a new place that she needed to, but mm. she said, we don't need any of that. Um, and then at the end of the day, uh, we gave her why did she say that? Why did she say that it was a pro you think it was a pride thing or she felt like she felt like you guys no kicked her out? You- I really have no clue. I mean, to each their own for me, right. Uh, you know, it, I, I'm it might have been shame. Like, I don't want any of your help. I want to do this by myself. Maybe. 
Yeah, it could be. I gave her everything that I thought I could offer it, but at that point, you know, I needed her just to vacate the property. It was losing yeah, dude. Money it's you, you, you were a lot nicer than a lot of other landlords would be, man. So, uh, and I respect you for that. It's 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 a tough predicament, man. It's really yeah, tough, especially you know? you know, especially during COVID. It's tough. It's tough, and so. I did what I thought I could do. And, and at the end of the day, um, she did leave before we actually had to go to court with evictions and everything. So good thing is we didn't, ha- she didn't get evicted. Um, we didn't have to go through the entire eviction process. And mm-hmm. apparently she did find a place that she could afford and stay in. So it was kind of a win-win for everyone, but um now what we and then what we did with the properties once you vacated we uh, put some money into it to rehab it and then I actually sold it because the property appreciated a lot in value and so mm-hmm. that's what I ended up doing and I'm I'm going to use that money to then buy more properties. Okay, all right, fantastic. Now, moving on from uh, evictions, just some questions on rental property in the different cities that you you know say Memphis, Detroit, or. Um, uh, Ohio, Cleveland, whichever parts of Ohio. Mm-hmm. What are some of the differences you experience in those cities? And what are what's some advice you can give? Like kind of maybe here a few questions. Which ones, what do you prefer in terms of cities? Do you have a preference? Do you like Memphis the most? Do you like Cleveland the most? Uh, do you like Detroit the most? And you know, just some advice on what to look for in a property, say a single family, 60, 70, 80K. The floor is yours. Yeah. <laughs> Great question. So personally, honestly, I like all of those cities. The reason why we're in those cities, is because I like all of them. I have a few, you know, a few rentals in Memphis. I have a few in Cleveland. I, I don't even, I, I think I'm going to get a few in St. Louis or Detroit, whichever one, you know, comes first. So I, I like all those markets and those markets are really, really similar in terms of price range, in terms of rent in terms of job growth and population growth. And so that's kind of why we're in those markets. And a lot of investors like to invest in those markets uh, because they're so similar. So for example, um, all the properties that we get are, they range anywhere, anywhere from like 30 grand all the way up to maybe 150. I don't see anything going too much above that. There are small pockets in all those areas that go above 150K, but that's the kind of price range that we always um, have those properties at. And mm-hmm. then uh, the rent is very, very similar. All of them rent for anywhere between like 500 all the way to like 1500, uh, depends on the property, obviously. And then very strong uh employment there too so like there's fedex headquarters and and memphis and there's like amazon moving into cleveland and so and a lot of healthcare business in cleveland as well so um you know all these markets have strong employment from big employers that i don't see going anywhere like i don't see fedex going out of business anytime soon they're shipping more yeah. things than ever everyone's ordering online so their shipments are just crazy um, you know, healthcare is never going away. People always need that. And so well, healthcare is going to be going up a lot more because everyone's so sedentary. It's like the world's been made. So, it's so small and so easy. Now people work from home. They order from home. It's like in, in a few years from now, people will not need to move out of their bed. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's amazing, but it's also very, very dangerous. It's people dangerous. Need, yeah. People need to get off their asses and work out. They need to, they need to leave the house 
because mm-hmm. that can present a whole new set of problems. So with all this convenience comes a lot of potential negatives. People need to make sure they're still active and they're still getting fresh air because, you know, that um, that cabin fever is a serious thing. So, oh, it definitely is. I don't know if you saw the movie Wally, the Disney movie, but, you know, they're all like sitting in that chair and people are like bringing them stuff. They never move once. And it's it's honestly coming close to it. And so I'm really curious if, you know, these things get automated, it becomes so efficient. Um you know, these things become efficient and automated so that people can free up their time to do what they want. But if they spend the time at home, like watching Netflix and stuff, then I don't, I don't know if that was actually productive, you know, hundred percent, dude. That's why you just, I love that you said that. It's so true, man. That's what you have. Like you have to take the positives and do your best to leave the negatives. And it's hard because for instance, cell phones, you can make millions and millions of dollars with this device. Yeah, but you also have to be able to shut off from it, and and I can say very honestly, sometimes I really spend too much time on the damn thing, yeah, and that's the problem. So yeah, so so I didn't want to kind of go too off too off uh, on a tangent, uh, but we you know you were telling me about the the new companies coming in, Amazon and FedEx is always doing business. So it's what it sounds like because you mentioned that rents are going from five thousand, I'm sorry, five hundred to to fifteen hundred. It seems like there's a lo- high level of predictability mm-hmm. in these areas, right? You can kind of determine where, where, where things stand price-wise. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, especially with the property management companies and the partnerships we have there, we know, okay, rent's, rent's going to go for about this much, and then we can go ahead and sell the property for this much. Uh, actually, one thing that I would like to say about the Midwest market, so they're like, well, California, like, let's say you buy a home here and it's like 700K. And then in three years, it appreciates to, you know, a million. So you got 300K of equity, right? Which is amazing. I think that's great. And I think that is, you know, one way to make a lot of money. And I, I know a lot of people who have made a lot of money that way, which is great. The scary thing is if the housing market crashes, then you're, if you have an investment or rental property here, one, you're gonna, your mortgage payment on a $750,000 home is most likely going to be about two grand, two to three grand a month. And so if you're paying two to three grand a month out of pocket, if you're not making, you know, a hundred K a year or more, that's a big hit for you, especially if you don't have a tenant. And even if you did have a tenant, a lot of property, unless, unless you have the property cash um, and you don't have a mortgage on it, then you're not going to cash flow here. So if, you, if you're not able to cash flow here using financing, then you're losing money every single month. And now if, with a housing market crash, your home, maybe if it goes from 750K to 500K, you've just lost $250,000, right? So it's really, really scary. Um, and in the Midwest, those homes can range from what, 30K to 150K, um, even if the house- 30K market- house, what is the heck can you, 30K yeah, house, know, know. are they, are, do they, do they actually have room to sit in them? Oh yeah, they had three bed, one <laughs> bath, a thousand square feet. How you many square feet? Them, you. <laughs> yeah, you can find them, three bed, one bath homes, a thousand square feet, you can find them. Thousand square feet for $30,000? Yeah, you can find them, yeah, it's, it's Yeah, but you probably have a serial killer living next to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of them, you do have to do a lot of, you know, renovations to it. You might have to put 10, 15K on it, but it's still $30,000. Nothing. 
it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm from New York, man. I grew up in New York. I moved to Florida to to South Florida two and a half years ago. I mean, you get a mouse hole. Yeah. For a million two. Exactly. You don't have a driveway. You don't have a lawn. If you have a lawn, it's this little patch of grass, and because you don't have a parking lot, and there's this alternate side parking. What people do, they'll they'll remove their little patch of grass just to get their car onto their property so they don't have to look for parking. It's so <laughs> ludicrous, man. It's so ad- it's so nuts. And people and their thought process is, well, I grew up here and I have a store down the block. It's like so that how does that how does that make sense? <laughs> <laughs> I know it I frustrates know. me. It really it's frustrates really crazy. me. So yeah, I mean you can buy those properties and for 30, 60, you know, 30 to 150k in the Midwest. And even if there's a housing market crash, you just hold off. You just hold the property because if you have a tenant in there, you're still cash flowing a few hundred dollars a mm-hmm. month. So you just wait it out. And even if your home does decrease in value, it might go from 100K to 80K. So you, you know, you're down 20K, but it's still cash flowing. You just wait it out and you wait 10 years. You wait it out. It'll go years, up again. And then it'll go back up again. And, and you know, and even if it doesn't, you're still cash flowing. And then after, you know what, 30 years um, that you're paying your mortgage off of, now you own the property outright. And now you tripled your cash flow from 200 to 600 bucks a month. And, and you don't owe anything. And even if it stays, and which is, you know, worst case scenario, it's most likely never going to happen. But if it doesn't appreciate even a single bid and your home is worth, you know, the 60K it is, now you have 60K uh, worth of property and cash. And now, and, and you have 600 books coming in every single month in cash flow. Right. So, As opposed to 200 that you initially started with. So the, exactly. the, the cash flow tripled. Exactly. But you also, yeah, the likelihood of it not appreciating in 30 years is high. Exactly. It's, it's just not going to happen. You know, yeah. most likely that home from, is going to be 60K <laughs> and then it's going to be worth 300 or something. So it, that's, that's more realistic than, than it not appreciating at all. Right. Right. That's, that's the moral of the story. Like I, you know, you can mitigate risk by having properties out there because you can, you know, if I owned a home here, I could very well foreclose on a home because I can't pay that mortgage anymore. The mortgage on, on my rental properties on average in the Midwest is about 400 bucks, $450 a month. No matter what happens to me, I can pay 450 bucks a month. And, you know, with the same amount of cash that I would put into one home here in California, I can buy five or 10 here Amazing. out in the Midwest, you know. So you're, you're you're mitigating risk and you're diversifying at a, at a simple level. You know that if you yeah. have properties in different areas, no matter what happens to the market, you can always rely on certain properties to do the work. You know that exactly. no matter what happens, some of them, some of them, you might have an issue with a few of them, but a lot of them are going to be fine. So exactly. I would always rather have. 10 properties in one, because if one of them, if I have one property and that person's not there, then I'm screwed. I don't have anyone paying, but if I have 10 properties and then, you know, three of them are not paying, I still have seven other paying tenants that can cover for the three people that are not paying. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I'll still be able to cash flow with the same amount of money too. So that's, that's my philosophy. That's my concept. Um, and that's why I do love the Midwest market so much. Yeah. I mean, Cleveland is the mistake on the lake, but otherwise it's fine. <laughs> and if you know, you've heard that, have you heard that term? <laughs> that's the first time I heard of that. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. I said, I saw this a little while ago. One of my closest friends is from Cleveland. So oh, really? Uh, uh, yeah. I always make fun of him. Like, I don't know what you think is so special about this, this little city, 
but he's a dude. He <laughs> loves it. He he calls it Believe Land. He's all about the Cavs. He's always repping Cleveland. He's always got like tags on his backpack. He's like the biggest Clevelander you'll ever meet. It but is a fun city. It, it is a fun city. I went there and I didn't, I don't know. I didn't think it was so exciting. I, we went to see a comedy show, hilarious guy. Um, but yeah, it was cool, but I'm from New York. I mean, I don't know. I oh, can't yeah. really I mean, compare. You can't can compare, compare New York, Miami Beach. Miami. Know. Yeah, you can't compare the Cleveland to these cities, man. It's different. It's, it's not different the same. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, that is the story. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> Hayato, thank you so much for coming on. You taught me a lot about investment today. So I'm going to really... Uh, push a lot of my friends to see this episode specifically because we really went into a lot and um, I'm dude I'm stoked to get into this quite honestly it's just as a new realtor I started a year ago I need to see constant income before I go and do that because I don't want to just dip into money that I have I want to be bringing in a steady monthly income because I'm on commissions so I want to bring a steady monthly income and then be able to use a bit of that towards, towards investment. So I'm, you know, I'm beyond ready to get it, to make it happen. I just have to be patient. So, yeah. you know, when that does happen, man, I can't wait to get in contact with you. Cause uh, you know, even when uh, I know alone and, and Anton, I don't know if you were with them, but they went to the, some of these Midwest cities, they just, they, they literally hopped on a plane, got in one of these vans and a bunch of them were just going around touring property I would really love to do that. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing that. Yeah, it's always fun. It's always fun to go ahead and tour mm-hmm. property. So let me know. I'm more than happy to help, you know, and, and anyone. You, I'm always happy to help with anything that you guys need. So. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. Um, so I will drop all of the links to your content. I'm going to have my editor put the links um, in the beginning of the episode, hopefully in the end as well. And dude, let's be in touch and mm-hmm. look forward to speaking with you. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you so much for having uh, having me on the show, Rafael. I really appreciate it. And again, if we if I'm in Miami, let's link up. And uh, sure, if you have brother. any questions, feel free to reach out. Absolutely. Call me Rafi, by the way. Rafi for sure. Rafael. Yep. Gotcha. All right, guys. Make sure to like, subscribe, and share. Make sure to check out uh, Hayato's page and all of his all of his websites. So we'll you know we'll make sure to put all that in. Till next time, guys. Stay tuned. Thank you.